Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. When we found out about the oi coming in, I guess it kind of gave us that glimpse of like, oh, wow, we're... We're on the coast, you know, there's that connection between the land and the sea and the birds bring back those nutrients and nourish the forests and that's kind of like a lot of, you know, New Zealand coastal forests would have thrived from the nutrients that were built, you know, by seabirds. Kia ora, no mai kito tātou au hurihuri. Hello and welcome to Our Changing World, ko Clerk and Kananahau. Crystal Van Hout is the project manager of the Karioi project, with the aim of protecting native biodiversity in the area. Karioi is a forest-clad extinct volcano, eight kilometers to the southwest of Vaingaroa, Raglan. It's the most northerly mountain on the west coast to have a native rainforest sequence that goes from sea level to mountaintop. While the Karioi project started in humble beginnings, it has grown to a large team of rangers, educators, trapping experts and seabird monitors. Well, first I volunteered one day a week and then I got paid one day a week and then slowly got a few more days. But now we have like a team of 12, both education and biodiversity staff. And the same with like our backyard hub. People would get possums in their backyard. They'd ring regional council say, can you do something about my possums? They'd be like, no, call the Cutio project. And I'd get the phone call and be dropping off traps to people to try and help them out. And so then we were like, oh, we should just set up a backyard hub kind of for people to get traps. So everything has been, you know, very organic. People have come and connected with us and said, we think this is important, can you help? And that's a really lovely way to grow because we feel like we're responding to a community need. And obviously we're putting the words and the thoughts and the programs around it. But yeah, it's a real two-way process. The project focuses on predator control to protect that local biodiversity, but also to assist the return of the grey-faced petrel, or oi, to the area. Coordinating the backyard trapping hub is Isabel Lance. We just want everyone trapping around the mountain to support what we're doing on the mountain and on the coast. So that's my role. Obviously there's some reserve land here and we're kind of strolling through a bit of bush right now. But the houses are right there as well. Like people's people's backyards are right there. Yeah, that's right. So on the reserves within town, then we still do kind of the public lines that we put volunteers on. But we kind of do need everyone else, all the houses around to do their bit. Because if not, like we're never going to win this thing, you know. We really need everyone pitching in to cover as much as much ground as we can. So, how do you support them to do that? I can go to their property if they want that level of support and kind of gauge how many traps they might need and what. They often have a really good idea of what pests they have, and so I kind of just suggest the number of traps that they might need for their area and where they could place them and you know and then I kind of we've got this newsletters going out every now and then to just give them little tips and just keep them motivated to keep on trapping. And so do you know how many of the residents around Raglan are trapping? Over 400 households 
trapping as part of the backyard hub. And that's what we know, you know, there's probably even more out there that are doing their own thing, but they're not, they haven't done it through us as such. Um, but we're aiming for a lot more than that. We're, yeah, at least double that would be great. Are there specific areas that you focus on because of where the oi are nesting? Yes, we do. Well, we are, honestly, we'd love everyone to do it. Um, but we do kind of offer even better prices for to really get everyone trapping, especially where the near the burrows. When you say better prices, so for oh, they're traps? just yeah, better prices on traps. So we sell the traps. So we suggest what traps they, and we we sell them at really reasonable prices, probably better than than anywhere else you can get them. And for the areas that are really sensitive, that we really need people trapping, then we sell them even cheaper and we kind of take the hit and fundraise and yeah, get, get as many traps out there as we can. Is there increased interest in trapping and looking after the area? Yeah, I think so. I feel like it's kind of had a little jump. We're aiming for about 100 to 150 new households every year and we've definitely met that last year. So hopefully this year is another good one. Yeah, I guess with things like this, it's about momentum as well, right? Because once uh, your neighbors are trapping, then you're like, oh, I should probably do that too. Totally. And I try to tell everyone, you know, get your neighbors on board. And yeah, ideally, everyone would have at least one trap in their backyard of some sort, you know. And we target the stoats and the possums and the rats. It's mainly rats, but there's definitely possums and stoats hanging around too. Um, where are we? We are near the lookout. Come and have a look. This is, um, there's quite a few burrows in this reserve. And I think Nick, well, Nick is the sea ranger, so she is probably gonna show you some even. But this is a, a lookout just above Naranui Beach. The lookout is beautiful. Steps up to a wooden platform that overlooks the length of Naranui Beach to the right. Scrubby clay cliffs sweep down to Manu Bay on the left, and there's an expanse of ocean in front. Crystal says it holds some memories for the project. This spot's kind of special because this is literally where we used to sit when we first found out about the birds. So we'd had locals report about hearing what they thought maybe were bats or something um, flying around at night. And so one of our volunteers who also works for dog, he said, oh no, they can't be bats, let's go and have a look. And so he um, found the grey-faced petrel coming in. And basically they just come flying in from the coast, you know, on the, uh, on the winds. And they were kind of landing in the bush just down below us and literally here on the steps. And we'd come out and we kind of started doing these surveys about kind of like seeing where the birds were coming in and where on the coastline. So we surveyed right across the whole coastline, right past indicators and along the beach. And then we kind of realised that on the nice clear nights when it was nice to walk around, we'd have no birds. And then when it was stormy and wet and wild, the birds would come flying in. So, so we've had some nice stormy nights up here and yeah, pretty awesome. So that was the start. When was that? So that was around, let's see, 2000 and kind of 12, 13. Yeah. Okay. A little bit early. Yeah, about 20, even 2011 maybe. Yeah, when we first kind of heard about them and knew about them and then slowly started looking for them. But it wasn't until 2014 that we really started finding burrows where birds had been coming and going. So we found a few inactive burrows. We found some broken eggs um, in the cliffs just down here. 
and um, and it wasn't until we kind of started working with a species dog and finding burrows and then we'd you know sometimes find dead chicks or broken eggshell and but kind of signs of activity as well and that's kind of what started us on our journey to you know monitor the birds more intensely and just as we've kind of got more funding and more capacity and more volunteers we've been able to do more and not just monitor the birds but also protect the space that they're yeah. coming to yeah and that's kind of what because initially we thought oh we could start banding them or we start seeing where they are and where they're going and if they're coming back and so you have all these questions and then we realised that any bird that landed on the ground was just a sitting duck for predators and that the best thing we could actually do for the birds was increase our predator control and that's what we've been doing like just basically with the trapping on the mountain and doing the large scale stuff but also working with local landowners all along the coastline and all around the, the whole landscape really right from here to Parongia to between the two harbours you know, everyone that has a trap can contribute to the project and, and obviously you know we've got traps right right through this coastline and right all the way down and through these cliffs so yeah so we we just kind of felt like that's the best thing we can do for these birds before we try and interfere with them at all and um and the nice thing is seeing you know that through the monitoring from having a few burrows that were visited and then would just go dead and empty and would never pull through the season and now we've got over 50 burrows that we're monitoring and we've got chicks fledging so it's been pretty awesome the hard work of trapping, that's the vital part. Protecting the space for these birds that come back in on the storms. One of the ways the Karyori project goes about this is by playing the long game. It doesn't matter if you're learning something sciencey or doing something very, very in-depth. You just want to make sure that whichever group of students or kids you've got, that they're outside and they're just forming that connection to nature with the hope that when they grow up, they'll remember that feeling and they'll already have that love for nature and then hopefully they'll want to protect it. Amber Jones is the education coordinator for the project. We're running after school programs, holiday programs, we're running in school programs. In the past we have offered NZQA unit standards through the local school here. I've been working on another unit standard for the local school which is actually all about the oi bird, so the grey-faced petrel. So we've just been writing that up in conjunction with the Te Reo Māori class and we'll be doing that later on this year with them. And it's not just predator control we are doing, we're, we're connecting kids to the ocean, we're connecting them to the forests, to uh, the local streams and rivers. Uh, so it is really well-rounded and it just depends on what kind of programme they end up doing, even though we are mainly doing predator control, we, we want to have that wide range of natural things that we're connecting them to. Really we're trying to get them to connect to nature in whichever way they can that's personal for them and that's not always going to be about being in the bush. While overall care of the maunga and its biodiversity is the goal, it's the oi that the project has rallied around in recent years. The grey-faced petrel is an oceanic seabird, dark black-brown in colour with grey feathers at the base of the bill and throat. They are one of the few burrowing petrels to still survive on the New Zealand mainland, in small colonies scattered around the upper North Island coast. Larger colonies are doing well on predator-free offshore islands. In the Karioi team, Nick Callaghan is the seabird ranger responsible for the monitoring of the oyi burrows. She points out some burrows on the cliff face we can see just beside the lookout. The adventure line, she calls it. 
because they need safety ropes to hang off to protect themselves when they do the monitoring. Luckily, today, there's no abseiling involved. So we're heading down the main Bryant track and we actually have a burrow right next to the track. That's probably halfway between here and the coast. Um, again, it's like they've got that really good access for the wind so the birds can fly in easily. It's sheltered under a big um, Pahutakawa tree and it's been, it's been one of the first burrows that we had and we've had chicks, um, two chicks, three chicks maybe. So it's, yeah, it's a good one to have a look at. I visited Whaingaroa in April. That's the time when the adults should be coming back. So this is when she starts checking those burrows to see if the occupants have returned. Um, so we're at the burrow here. So this has two entrances. The most inhospitable one is under the pampas here. And then we can sort of crawl through a little bit. Each year they use one more than the other. Um, we put popsicle sticks up because that gives us an immediate visual of if anything's been in there or not. The entrance is a small space tucked under some bush that we push our way through to get a look. I can see the sticks knocked over at the opening to the burrow, which Nick tells me goes on for quite a few metres. And so are they creating those burrows? They do, yeah. yeah. So their, um, their feet have little claws at the end of them. And so they use them for climbing. Like, so we've had footage of them um, sort of scarpering up or scampering up, you know, trees and sort of small cliffs. And then they use them to dig it out. So like the first sort of visit of the season and when I do my next checks, I'm looking for, um, like for that excavation. So they'll, they're getting in there and they're scraping all the, you know, whatever they don't want. Like last year's poo, last year's feathers. And they scrape that all out. And so at the entrance to the burrow you see... Yeah, little bits of dirt and leaves and feathers and things. And there's three different traps in this yeah. one area. <laughs> yes, quite a few traps here. This, um, while it looks like a trap, is actually what we put a camera in. It's a perfect spot because it gets us right into the entrance and so we can see the adults coming and going. And then later on, if we do have a chick, we see the chick come out and a few weeks before they fledge, they leave their burrow and they stretch their wings and they, so they practice stretching and flapping. And so for the few weeks before they fledge, we see this progression from really like fluffy, downy chick to like you, we see their flight feathers coming in. Yeah, it's beautiful. They're so gorgeous. So the other thing that this burrow has, like it's got its two entrances that the bird has made, and under this rock here, it's what's called a study hole. So when the birds are back at sea, we've dug it down. So that's where the chamber is underneath that. The box that we have for our monitoring camera, we've picked up cats, we've picked up dogs, like stoats, weasels, ferrets, kind of everything around here, no matter... Well, we're doing a good job with our predator control, but they just seem to keep coming. But so this um, study hole gives us access to the chamber so that we can actually see if the chick is still in there. And then later in the year, so sort of November, when we band our chicks, it means that we can get in, we can easily and safely get the chick, band it and put it back. We push our way through to the other entrance, where there are signs that someone has been home recently. So this is the other entrance. Oh, that's really small. Yeah, so they can squeeze in, yeah, they can squeeze into some quite tight places. And so we can see there's a little bit of excavation. You can see that loose debris at the, um, at the entrance to the burrow. Yeah. We've got a feather here. 
this is signs of them returning? Yes, because this is the first time I've come back since December. The sticks aren't a sure sign that it's an oi that's been in. It could have been a rat or a hedgehog or anything because they've been up for quite a few months. So I'll adjust those sticks so that next time I come I'll see for sure. But I can see a little bit of like, like that debris that I was talking about. There's the feather. There's no... Often you'll see guano, like a big sort of blob of um, oi poo. Um, but I can't see any of that. And So the other thing that I check for is I'll like wedge my face right in there and see if I can smell anything but everyone else laughs at me because yeah because that like I just have a really sensitive sense of smell but yeah that's one of the main the main ways that I can tell if a bird's been in there or not is give it a good sniff give it a good sniff because <laughs> yeah when they've been in it's really pungent and so and when the birds haven't been there you just can't smell it and there's another area further up the coast at Manu Bay and we walk down some steps and we've got sort of a cluster of we've got 15 14 15 burrows in this cluster and on a warm day especially you walk down and you just get this waft of seabird smell coming back up to you but then when they go back to sea like it, it goes really really quickly yeah, so it's, it's a good indicator. Is it a nice smell for you? Is it is it something that brings um, you joy? Or? Oh yes, <laughs> it is in that I know, like it's, you know, you wouldn't want to wear it as a perfume, but it's nice in that it's like, right, we've got these, you know, the birds are back, we've got birds here. So but, uh, yeah, from that point of view, it's a nice smell. Yep. And when you say the birds are back, so talk to me a little bit about their year, a year in the life of Anoi. A year in the life of Anoi. So um, they're coming back now, um, they're a bit later this year but like we were saying earlier it's been really calm so they tend to come back on a new moon and when it's stormy. So they come back, the, um, the male gets the burrow ready, hopefully they hook up with their mate from the previous year and then have a successful mating. They go back to sea for June and then they come back and lay their egg. Um, it takes a couple of months for the egg to incubate and so sort of September, August, late August, September the egg hatches and then the parents take turns feeding the chick. And then a couple of weeks before they fledge, which is in late December, early January, depending on how the season's gone, that's when the chick comes out and that's when it starts stretching and like practicing its flapping. And, and then the parents will leave once <coughs> the chick fledges? Yeah, even before it fledges. So they kind of give it one last meal and then um, anywhere between, well it can take you know a week, two weeks and then the chick will fledge. Yeah, and they need, the other thing that's really important and why it needs the two parents to feed it is if it doesn't get that energy intake, if it doesn't get that food, it, I mean, it's obviously not going to grow, but its feathers won't come in and so it won't survive. The last couple of years have been really hard because we've had ferret incursions um, and so we've lost adults. With the smaller stoats and weasels, they'll take an egg or they'll kill the chick, but they're not large enough to kill the adult. And so to have that adult taken out of the picture as well it's, it's just so sad because it kills you know the future but, generations yeah. but then we've, we don't know what's going to happen with breeding for the following year so we're not sure because we lost quite a few adults last year we're not sure how that's going to affect this year and in terms of numbers <laughs> so crystal was saying 50 burrows last year is that the the hope, fingers crossed, for this year, same kind of numbers or bigger yeah, numbers? Yeah, we, um, we tend to find new burrows every year. 
Um, so we have this woman, Joe, who comes up from Levin with her species dog, Rua. He often finds a new burrow or two. And then sometimes we just, we happen to find them ourselves. Like if we're scouting around an area, you know, doing our surveys for the burrows that we know about, you know, you'll see, yeah, like the excavation or the feathers and go, oh, okay, what's over there? And so we have found burrows that way, but mostly they come through Rua. And we do tend to find more every year. So yeah. numbers-wise, you're hoping... I'm hopeful for anything. But yeah, we are up to 50, so if we find a couple more, that would be great. It's more, it's not necessarily the number of burrows that we have, but how successful they are. So I'd, for me, I'd rather have a smaller amount of burrows and know that we can do really good predator control around them and have more chicks fledge. What we do know too is that we've got, we haven't had it yet, but hopefully in the next year or two, we should have chicks that have like hatched from here that are coming back and um, we'll be able to tell that from their band number. As Nick said, it's been tough going. Last year there were five chicks that fledged. Other years it's been seven or eight. They start with more chicks hatching, but... We've had a couple of years where a stoat's gone through and taken quite a few chicks. So we start off with sort of 15, 20 that we know about and then through various things it sort of it drops down. So it would be really neat, like we're really ramping up this year um, our ferret control. We've put in lots of specific traps for ferrets. We've put in monitoring cameras to try and lure them in as well. And we're doing, we call them, well they're, they're called rabbit drags. And so we literally drag a dead rabbit behind us to create a scent trail to lead them into the traps. So we're really ramping that up this year with the hope of just really bringing those mustelid numbers down. Again, it's back to trapping in getting people on board to do it. People such as Linda Lim. From Waikato, Linda and her husband are keen surfers. They live near the Indicator Surf Break, west of Nanonui Beach, where the forest from the mountain extends down to the ocean. We have a house in the bush, and we have traps there, where we trap in our backyard, and as well as um, looking after the trap lines. Was it kind of like a natural thing for you, living in the bush and having your own traps that you get involved with the project, or how did that start for you? Getting involved with the project started because we were walking down through the bush to uh, the Indicator Surf Break, and we met one of the other people who worked for the Carrier Project, who was Shelley. And I said, oh, you know, do you need people to check the traps? Because um, it was just on my my normal daily walk and she said yeah yeah happy to you know have anybody come along and help and then we got talking about the project and what they were doing and she told me about the oi burrows down at indies and i said yeah look i'll happy to check traps part of my normal walk so i started off with one trap line doing eight traps and now i do about five trap lines around the lagoon and the indicators burrows and all up i've probably got 50 to 60 traps that i check on a regular basis and who are the culprits? Who are you catching? Uh, mostly rats at the moment. Um, we had three to four chicks in our Indies burrows last year, but sadly they got predated. We're not sure what got them. We think a ferret or a possum, because uh, we did get a possum in one of our traps up there, and I've got a couple of stoats in the traps. Uh, they're the main predators for the chicks because they get into the burrows and they just basically kill the chick and, and that's it. Um, but most of what we're catching in the traps at the moment is, is rats. However, what I have seen in the four, three years that I've been doing 
the traps is an increase in the bird life. So we get, we've got more kereru, we've got more tui, we've got more piwaka waka. Um, we just now need to take care of the oi and try and, try and get these oi protected so we can get them coming back to the burrows. 50 to 60 traps is a lot of traps. So it's a lot of time that you yeah. give to this. What keeps you going? What keeps you trapping? Well, it gets me out into the environment. Um, you know, I'm, I've just turned 64, so it keeps me fit and active. Um, I love walking through the bush, and I really, really love waking up in the morning and hearing the, the bird life and the bird song on the Mount Kerioi. And I also really wanted to, hopefully this season, have some of our chicks fledge so that they will, you know, they can fly away and then come back in four or five years and lay their eggs in our burrows. And Karaoi used to be a seabird mountain, so it used to be just, you know, hundreds of years ago, apparently full of oi, and now there's just remnant population of oi here. And while oi is not considered endangered, it is endangered here on, on the mountain because of the predators. So the more predator control we can do, the more people we can get trapping in their backyards, the better it is for our bird life. For Nick Callahan, helping the oi return to Karioi is bigger than just looking after these seabirds. I don't think many people realise the importance because they don't see them. You know, they come in at night. They come in on stormy nights where you're even less inclined to be out. You know, they don't have a beautiful song like the tui or the bellbird or anything. You know, they're the connection between the ocean and the land. They bring, you know, all the nutrients of the sea and bring them back to land, and that helps with our forest health. So they call them ecosystem engineers. So they're a really important link. And with, you know, I guess everything that's going on in the world and the, sort of the state of the environment, it's a huge risk. Like, it's obviously a risk for the birds, but it's a risk for the, you know, for the forest as well. Thanks to Crystal Van Hout, Isabel Lance, Linda Lim, Nick Callahan, and Amber Jones, all from the Karioi Project. This episode was produced by me, Claire Kincannon, with editing help from Justin Gregory. Sound engineering was by Steve Burge. You can find and follow Our Changing Worlds on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeart, or wherever you like to get your podcasts. Check out the show's website at rnz.co.nz slash ourchangingworlds. And if you want to get in touch with us, we are on Facebook or Twitter at RNZ Science. If you haven't checked it out yet, there are several excellent episodes of the second season of the Aotearoa History Show available to watch now. Find it on YouTube or via the RNZ website. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Claire Kincannon. Kia pai, tō wiki.